Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the executive pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. Last week, I started a new series we're going to do in summer. We're going to be looking at the life of David. And so uh, the, the story of David starts in 1 Samuel 16. That's where we first get introduced to David in the Bible. And so 1 Samuel chapter 16, we got through the first 13 verses last week. And, we looked, and where we finished, verse 13, we finished with uh, Samuel anoints young David, teenage David, with oil and says, you're going to be the next uh, king of Israel. All right, and so we're just going to pick up from there. We're going to finish chapter 16 today, verses 14 to through 23. I'm going to read it to you, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into it. And I really just hope, I just want us to glorify Jesus. That was amazing worship time, just amazing. And I just love Jesus. This is all about Jesus. And even when we talk about uh, David, it's about, da- it's about Jesus. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna learn to glorify Jesus more and please Jesus more and how amazing Jesus is through the life of David. All right, so verse 14 Now the Spirit of the Lord, so this is right after, very next verse. So verse 13, Samuel douses uh, David with oil. You're the next king of Israel. And the next thing we read is this. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. All right, bow your heads with me, close your eyes. Let's pray, and then we'll get into this. Lord Jesus, we love you. Oh, we love you, and we want to love you more. We want to experience more of you in this church. I want this church so badly to to just be filled with love and that you would be glorified by the joy that you find here in this service. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us by your spirit this morning as we study David. In your name we pray, amen. So David gets anointed king. If, you, if, if Samuel came to your door and anointed you king, now I know we don't have a king here in, in Canada, but if you got some kind of major promotion equivalent to that, what would you do next, right? That's the question. What would you do next? So David gets anointed king. What would you do next if, if, if you got that? Uh, would you, you'd probably quit your job. You know, probably go for a really nice dinner. You know, buy yourself something nice like, woohoo, uh, major promotion, right? I remember, uh, and by the way, just in advance, I sometimes tell stories about my, my life before I was a pastor. I do not necessarily condone everything that I did, okay? And that is certainly true of this next story. But I remember one summer when we were tree planting, and uh, we just hated life while we were tree planting. And so our whole goal was just to not have to tree plant. And so this one year, we had this thing, a few of us on, on my crew, every week on the day off, we'd go into town and we'd buy a scratch and win. Again, I don't condone this, okay? I'm not condoning gambling or anything like that. But we would buy these scratch and wins. It was a $25,000 jackpot. And our whole thing was, if, we, if I win, I'm out of here. I'm not finishing out. I'm not gonna, you know, none of that, right? Like, so what would you do, right? What would you do? You, you, Samuel comes on and says, you're the next king. You know, a lot of us, I think what's inside of us is I'm, I'm out of here. I'm quitting. I'm done. I'm going to celebrate, right? Or maybe you don't celebrate. Maybe you start plotting, right? You start 
plotting the takeover. Okay, I'm going to be king. Uh, who do I know that's good with a knife that might make a good assassin, right? Uh, who do I know that can help me with my, my image? We're going to go door to door. I'm going to build up the image. We, we either celebrate and quit everything and just be pumped about it, or we start plotting the, the takeover, right? I want you to notice David does neither of those two things. He does neither of those two things. Okay, this guy's a shepherd. Middle East culture, that was bottom of the rung. That was your, your, your base minimum wage job. Nobody wanted to do that one, okay? So David gets called in from the, from the sheep, and Samuel anoints him and says, you're the next king of Israel. He doesn't go out and buy himself an expensive uh, car. Uh, he doesn't quit his job. You know, hey, I got the scratch and win. I'm out of here. He go, what does he do? He's just been anointed the next king of Israel, and he just goes back to the sheep. Where do they find him? He's with the sheep. You're going to be the next king of Israel well, that's great. I better go finish my shift, right? And he just goes back to the sheep. You know what that's called? That's called faithfulness, okay? And I want you to know two things here about David, okay? First of all, he is faithful. He finds out he's king. He is faithful, and he doesn't force anything. He's faithful, and he's not forcing anything. What does it mean to be faithful? To be faithful is to be loyal, is to be dependable, is to stick to something and keep doing it. Do you know how rare that is in our culture today? Has anybody noticed that trait might be just a little bit rare in our culture today, to be faithful like that? David just hit the jackpot, and he's going to go back and finish his shift with the sheep. He's faithful. I've been given responsibility. I'm going to carry out my responsibility, even if it's low, gra gla low grammar, low glamour is what I meant. Um, low glamour, low pay, high obscurity, doesn't matter. I've been given a responsibility. I'm going to go back with the sheep. That's called faithful. Now, I want to tell you something today. Faithfulness is not one of those high glamour uh, traits. When, when we Christians, if, if we were all to put down on a sheet of paper today, if I was to do a little survey here, and we would all put down, what do you think are the three most important character traits for a believer to have? I bet you very few of us, if any of us, would put down, would put down faithfulness. We'd put down all kinds of things. I bet you faithfulness would not find it onto many of our sheets. But did you know, I really believe that faithfulness is one of the big reasons God said in Acts that David was a man after his own heart and why God picked David to be the next king. I really believe that faithfulness is one of the, we might not see it as a high glamour trait or character trait in our culture, including in our Christian culture. I really believe if God would put down his favorite traits, I think faithfulness is near the top. It's one of his most important. And again, I really believe it's one of the reasons David was a man after his own heart and why God picked him to be king. God looks at this shepherd boy who's taking care of the sheep and he says, he's faithful. He'll just, take, he'll just keep taking care of those sheep forever. You give him a little job, and he'll do it. Do you realize how much Jesus taught about this in the Gospels? It's a common theme. Faithfulness is a common theme throughout all the Old Testament stories, and it's a huge theme in Jesus' teaching. Let me just show you a couple of passages. Luke chapter 16, verse 10, Jesus says this, one who is faithful in a very little. I love, it's not just even faithful in a little. It's faithful in a very little. Jesus says, one who is faithful in a in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Jesus says if you're not faithful with little things, you won't be faithful with big things. Okay? And he taught about this all over. I'll, if we go three chapters later in Luke, Luke chapter 19, I want to read you parable, the parable of the minas, faithfulness. 
And in the parable of the minas in Luke chapter 19, I'm going to read you in just a second, um, a, a master goes away on a trip, and he's got 10 servants, and he leaves 10 minas with these 10 servants, one mina to each servant. Okay, now the thing you have to understand is a mina was just a very little bit of money. It was not a lot. It wasn't a talent of gold. It wasn't a talent of silver. It was a mina. A mina is a very little amount of money. Let's pick up the story in chapter 9, or the parable in 19, verse 13. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. And the first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful. Here it is again. In a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Now, I want you to notice something here. In God's kingdom, faithfulness in small matters translates into authority in large matters. This is how God's kingdom works, okay? It works a lot different than our, than our world works. But in God's kingdom... Faithfulness in small matters translates into authority in large matters, okay? And this is very different than how we do leadership. I'll just finish the parable, verse 18, or not quite finished. There's a couple more verses, but I'll read you just one more here just to emphasize it. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. If you're faithful with just a little bit, he's going to give you authority over a lot. God says, if I can't trust you in little, I, will, I cannot trust you in big. So in God's kingdom, the way it works in God's kingdom is there's no promotions until there's faithfulness. So why does David get promoted to king? Because he first took care of the sheep. Now, we would not do leadership training that way. We would not say if David's going to be king. If, David, if we were training David up, if we were God, we would send him to all the most expensive leadership training conferences. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with leadership training conferences, but this is how we would do it. Send him to the most expensive leadership training conferences. Get him some coaching. You know, get him involved with people, blah, 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 blah. This is how we raise a great leader. God says, I want to raise up a leader of a great nation. I'm going to put him with sheep. Is it? You see, God's, God's kingdom and our kingdom, totally upside down. In the kingdoms of this world, the way you get promoted is sell yourself. Be successful. Have people like you. Jump on the biggest opportunities. Always jump. You get a big opportunity, jump on it. Be successful. That's how you get advanced in the kingdoms of this world. In the kingdom of God, the way you get promoted is put your head down and be faithful in the little things. And then God promotes you. See, in the kingdoms of this world, you've got to get yourself promoted. In God's kingdom, you put your head down and God promotes you. Faithfulness in little matters. There's no, there's no getting around. It, it is actually essential. God says, I won't trust you with responsibility in my kingdom unless you prove yourself in little things. Faithfulness is a huge thing to God. And so that's what we find David doing. David wasn't clawing and scratching to be someone important. He was just taking care of the sheep and he was doing it to the best of his ability. He didn't have big dreams. What am I going to do with my life? Oh, I got to do something great with my life. That's not what David was doing. He was singing to God and taking care of the sheep. And God said, I just can't help but use a guy like that. And so he comes, Samuel comes knocking and says, you're going to be the next king. Now, God has many things and many ways that he can grow us in faithfulness. I just want to look at two tests. And we certainly see them in the life of David, but we see them in the life of many other uh, Bible characters as well. Two tests God uses to grow us in faithfulness. And he loves these tests. And the first test is the test of obscurity. The test of obscurity. Obscurity is no one really sees you 
No one notices you. No one appreciates you. God loves this test, okay? He takes his favorite people who he thinks have potential, and he will for sure, if he wants to use you, he is going to, at some point in your life, probably at multiple points in your life, he is going to put you off somewhere on a shelf, maybe it'll feel to you, but he's going to give you a season of obscurity. And then he's going to put the oven on high and he's going to let you stew and bake in obscurity for a while because he likes the aroma. (laughs) Moses, right? Here's Moses. Moses is somebody special. I mean, whose mom puts him in a basket and floats him down the Nile River? I mean, any of you ever had your mom do that to you? No. Okay. He's a special guy. He grows up in a palace of Pharaoh, most important, powerful man on, on the earth. He has the best education. He has the best food. He, I, I imagine he was a man of style. He was all these things. And on top of that, he also believed in God. And he knew he was called to be the leader, uh, to be the one who is going to help the people of Israel. And so that's why he kills the Egyptian when he sees him in, that, in one part of the story. And so you just see, here's the guy with talent. He's got leadership training. He's got everything he needs that he's going to be a great leader. And God says, no. And so what does God do with him? Sends him out into the boonies. Sends him out into the middle of nowhere, right? To take care of sheep again. Okay? And he doesn't send him out there. You say, oh, I've been in a season of obscurity. I've been there for a month. God's like, you haven't even barely started, right? He sends Moses out into the wilderness not for a month, not for two months, not for two years, 40 years. Now, of course, Moses was called to more than most of us, so most of us don't have to do 40 years in the obscurity test, thankfully, okay? When God wants to build a tall skyscraper, he's got to put a really deep foundation. And he said to Moses, I want this guy to write five books of the Bible. I want him to come up on Mount Sinai and get the Ten Commandments. I want him to lead the people of Israel through the Red Sea and to the Promised Land. I've got a lot riding on him, so he needs a good long time baking in obscurity. And that brings up the second thing, which is monotony. Now, monotony, there's a sexy trait that we all love in this culture, (laughs) right? That's young people. When they write down what they want in a job, I want something monotonous, right? What is monotony? You're going to do a job that is not glamorous, that is not fun, that is not cool, and you're going to do it over and over and over and over again. And then when you're done, you're going to do it over again. And you're just going to keep doing it. You're going to take care of the sheep today and tomorrow and the next day, and you're just going to keep kidding. God loves obscurity monotony to grow us in faithfulness. Joseph is another one, right? David and the shepherd. But Joseph, right? Joseph's going to be the savior of the people of Israel to bring them into Egypt. Moses is going to take them out of Egypt. Joseph is going to be the one that brings them into Egypt. And God says, you're going to, have, you're going to be a powerful leader. Before you can do that, I've got to put you in obscurity and monotony. So he sells him first as a slave, and you're going to work as a nobody for no pay. And then Joseph proves himself faithful as a slave. And God says, wow, you're doing so good at this test, I'm going to give you a promotion. And he sends him to jail, right? <laughs> so he gets a couple of years in a jail, and he's faithful there, okay? Like these are, this is where God, this is in God's kingdom, how God does leadership training. Again, nothing against conferences. I, you know, we go to them sometimes, and nothing against leadership books. But God doesn't raise up leaders with conferences and books. He raises them up through the test of faithfulness, obscurity, and monotony. Now, one of the things about God when he's testing you and growing you in faithfulness, you got to know, is that when God's making a leader, he's never, never, never in a hurry. He's never in a hurry. I heard a pastor say once, this isn't the Bible, but it was an observation a pastor 
uh, made once who'd been in ministry for some time. He said, I don't think God even will trust you with your true life calling. He said, I don't even think God will trust anyone with their true life calling until they've proved themselves faithful to him in small things for 20 years. Now, again, that's, that's not the Bible. It's, it's probably not true in every single circumstance, but it was an observation he made over many years of ministry. And I just think, I've seen a lot of it. I think it's true. I mean, I think of, uh, you know, Pastor Ray here, here at church. I mean, he's, he's 63 years old this year, all right? I'm his son. I can tell you that. His weight, anything else you want to know, you just ask me, okay? Just... <laughs> Um, he's 63 years old this year, and he's just entering in now with all this church renewal stuff. I mean, uh, hundreds of churches and mentoring every week, and it's going around the world. He's just entering in now. He's got more influence now that it's exponentially increasing more than ever before. He's just now entering into the big calling. God, I mean, you just see it, the way he operates and the way he's made. This is what he was made for all along, but he's only entering it. He's not entering it into it in his 20s, his 30s, his 40s, his 50s. He's entering into it in his 60s. Why? You ever think about how risky it is for God to give a, a human being influence over other people for his kingdom? You ever think of how risky that is? I mean, look at, just look at the list of scandals in the, in the church the last few years. Major Christian leaders, affairs, broken marriages, financial scandals, all kinds of hurt and harm, and people fall away because of this. And God says, if I'm going to raise someone up to influence my kingdom, they've got to have not just a couple of weeks or a couple of months of testing, they've got to have years. And so you look at, you, look at, you know, dad's life over the years. He now, 63, is entering into this thing. 30 years first of ministry. Eight and a half years there in Woodstock, Ontario, a church that never grew over 100. Nobody thought anything of that church. No one gave him the time of day. No one thought they could learn anything from that church. No one thought God was doing anything in that church. It was, it was you know, that was the wilderness kind of thing. And then you look at, you know, all the health problems your mom have had, all the surgeries and the back and neck problems and raising four kids and then 22 years here at Southland. You look at faithfulness and God's not in a hurry when he's making a leader. He says, I'm going to test you for years. You want to be used by God to do great things. You can't be in a hurry. And I just want to say that, young people, you can't be in a hurry. You want to do great things for God, that's great. Love that the, the youthful zeal is awesome. That's from God too. But you want to be used by God to do great things, and you're in a hurry to do great things. You know what? God's not in a hurry to use you. Okay? He's not in a hurry to use you. Yeah, serve him and prove your faithfulness there. But I want to say something else too. Don't ever underestimate the importance to God of just having a job. Just get a job and keep it. One of the things, we get trapped into this thinking. When it comes to the faithfulness test, and young people particularly, I want to talk to you right now. When it comes to the faithfulness test, we have divided the world into spiritual and non-spiritual. So on the spiritual side, we think, if I'm going to be used by God, then I got to get some Bible training. Amen. That's awesome. Love that. We got school ministers. Absolutely love it. It's really important. None of this stuff is bad. What I don't like is the two categories, and then we ignore one. But we think, if I'm going to be used by God to do great things, I got to go on missions trips. I got to go overseas. Again, those are great things to do. Go serve God and see some things overseas. Amazing. Our, again, our school mistress does that too. But, I, but I, we have this desire, this youthful zeal. zeal. I got to do great things for God. I got to go overseas. I got to do this great thing. I got to get this experience, all that sort of stuff. And all of these are very fine things. But I want you to notice when we look in Scripture, how does God train up a leader? Never underestimate the importance of to God of just getting a job and keeping it. 
When God wanted to raise up Moses to be a leader, did he send him on a mission trip? Again, I'm not again. I love mission trips. My point is not that we shouldn't do the, the ones in this category. My point is we do these ones. We think this is the leadership training and just having a job is not. But when God wanted to raise up Moses to be a leader, he didn't send him on a mission trip. He got him a minimum wage job with sheep. 40 years. Go to it. I'll see you in 40, right? Joseph, you're going to be a slave. That's less than minimum wage. You don't get paid. You get room and board, right? That's it. Okay? David, I'm going to raise you up to be a king of Israel. Okay? Sheep again. Okay? Thankfully, we don't have a lot of sheep around here. Right? <laughs> but do not underestimate the importance of God. I'm going to tell you something right now. That is just as spiritual as everything in this column. column. Get a minimum wage job and go to work every single day and, be, and, and not just glide through, well, I didn't really like that job. I'm not feeling that great today. Uh, God says, I can't use that kind of stuff. Go to work every day and work hard and be a blessing to your boss and be a blessing to your coworkers. And that is absolutely intensely spiritual because we don't think faithfulness in little things is a big deal, but God to God, it's everything. And there's no promotions in his kingdom until he sees faithfulness in the little things. And that's his training. And that's what's hap what happened with David. And that's why I believe one of the big reasons why he was a man after God's own heart and why God said, I'm going to make this guy king. And so he passed the faithfulness test and you can see it. He gets anointed king. He goes back and he finishes a shift. And so now God says, now it's time for the next test. He's passed the faithfulness one. Now we're going to do the next test. And so I'm going to read just a few verses there again that we read before. And we'll look at what the next test is that David goes through. Starting in verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, behold, now a harmful spirit from David is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Now, we read these Old Testament stories, I've said this before, way too glibly. We just read them quickly, and we miss the details. So, of course, we're reading about David. So it just makes sense to us. Of course, they're going to think of David when they're having this discussion. Okay? But have you ever thought about what a wild coincidence this is? I mean, this has got to be one of the most wild coincidences. Now, just to know, I don't believe in coincidences, but just for the sake of the argument right now, this is the one of the wildest coincidences of all time. Okay? Saul doesn't know who David is. He's got no idea. They're not even from the same tribe. Saul's a Benjamite. David's from Judah. Okay? And he don't, I mean, Saul's not reading this story. He's not reading 1 Samuel 16 and going, oh, I'm reading about David. Oh, clearly we should be, insert David here. No, if he knew David had been anointed king, he would kill him. Okay, so think about this. Verse 13, Samuel, whoop, douse you in oil, you're the next king. David, go back, finish your shift with the sheep, sheep, off he goes. Okay, scene change, same time, next day, I don't know, shortly thereafter, uh, the spirit of the Lord departs Saul, and he starts having, you know, emotional breakdowns, demonic oppression, and his advisors are going, Saul's losing his marbles, okay? And he's got demonic oppression. So get together, brainstorm, what are we going to do? We need a worship leader, okay? We need a worship leader. Now, think about this again. They're not reading this story. They, they, this is, I mean, David. We know about David. They don't know about David, okay? They could, they could come up with any name in all of Israel. I mean, David wasn't the only worship leader, okay? Teenager with the sheep, okay? And it just so happens 
that one of the guys in Saul's advisor knows David. Okay, I don't know how he knows him, but he knows him. And he just happens to bring up David's name. And now David is going to go from the sheep pen into the palace. Now, this is, this is absolutely mind-blowing. If you just think of the brilliance of God. Think of the brilliance of God here uh, for just a moment, how perfect this is. So God says, I'm going to make this shepherd boy king. Now, the thing is, if you just take a shepherd boy and make him king, that's not going to work very well because a shepherd boy is not going to have any idea how the palace administration works, is he? I mean, he's passed. He's got the character to be a king because he's faithful in little things. But he doesn't have the mind to be a king because he he doesn't know how the laws are made. He doesn't know what the laws are. He doesn't know the, the leadership teams, the structure. He doesn't know the organization. So here he is, just a teenage boy. He's not ready to be king yet. And so God thinks, I, I, what this guy needs, what David needs next, he's passed the character test, the faithfulness test. Now he needs some leadership training. So I'm going to put him right in Saul's inner circle. Is that not brilliant? He's going to go right into Saul's inner circle, and he's going to get to watch how the palace operates. He's going to be right there. Okay? Now that, uh, if you don't mind me saying, that is a brilliant plan. God's pretty brilliant. And this is what happens when God decides. When God decides he's going to move you somewhere, this is the kind of stuff that happens. This is the kind of stuff that happens. And I want to say something else here. You don't have to worry that you're going to miss out on your calling in life. If you're faithful in little things, God will pull the strings. I just want to say that again. David's not out trying to make this happen. First of all, David's not smart enough to figure out the steps. Do you ever think about it? You and me aren't smart enough. Okay? David's not smart enough to know what he needs next. He doesn't go out back into the sheep and go, okay, I'm going to be king. Uh, what do I need next? I need some leadership training. I uh, don't know how to administrate a palace or a, or, a, or a nation. It'd be good if I was in Saul's inner circle. And if Saul got sick, you know, and oppressed by a demon, and then I would go in there, David's not smart enough to figure that out. You're not smart enough to figure out God's plan for your life either. But even granted David was smart enough to figure out what the next step should be, he wouldn't be powerful enough to pull it off. So what's the point of worrying? You ever think about that? So what's the point of worrying then? You're not smart enough to figure out what the next step is in God's plan for you. And even if you were smart enough, you're not powerful enough to pull it off. So actually, you know what your job and my job is? Just like David, put your head down and be faithful in little things. That's your job. And if you will just put your head down and be faithful, I'm going to tell you something 100% ironclad. If you will put your head down and be faithful, it is impossible for you to miss God's calling in your life. Impossible. How could you miss it? David's out with the sheep. When it's time for him to be anointed king, it's not like he has to figure out the timing. It's not like he has to make the decisions. He's just faithful. And Samuel shows up at the door. You're king. Okay. And then what happens next? Okay. If, I read, if we read verse 19, therefore Saul sent messengers. So what's he going to do next? So Samuel shows up and says, you're going to be the next king. I don't know what to do next. Not smart enough to figure it out. Not powerful enough to pull it off. I'll just go back and be faithful. And then what happens? God sends messengers. Now it's time to get your butt in the palace right? That's how it works. If you will be faithful in the little things and follow God as best you can, you cannot miss out on God's plan for your life. But how many Christians these days live their lives with this fear that they're going to miss out? We live our lives with this fear that we're going to miss out on God's plan, that somehow God has a plan to use us, or maybe the fear is that he, maybe there's a subconscious fear he doesn't have a plan for us, so I have to come up with something so that my life matters, And so we struggle to make our lives matter. We struggle, and we're afraid. Um, Am I going to miss hearing God's voice? 
Maybe I won't hear God's voice right. Maybe I missed it over there. What decision should I make? And we're thrashing around in confusion. What's the, maybe I'm missing God's plan. Maybe I'm missing this. Let me tell you this. Does God have a plan for your life or do you have a plan for your life? If it's your plan for your life, keep thrashing, keep panicking. But if God has a plan for you, do you believe that God has a plan for your life? Did David have a plan for his life? He didn't have a plan for his life. God had a plan for David's life. And if God has a plan for your life, which he does, you don't have to thrash around and panic. You don't have to worry that you missed hearing God's voice. He is the creator of the universe, and he's sovereign over everything, which means if he has a plan for your life, it's up to him to make it happen. Your job and my job is just be faithful. Just be faithful in the little things. And one day, God looks at these people, these men and women, who are just being faithful to him, and he says, I can't help. He says to the angels, look at this person down there. And they're on the bottom rung there in obscurity. I've had them stewing there for a little bit. And look at them. They're just faithful, faithful, faithful. I can't help, but I've got to use that person. And then you don't have to worry that you're going to miss his voice because Samuel's going to show up and then messengers are going to show up. And next thing you know, when God is moving the pieces, next thing you know, you're in the palace, you're in the inner circle. And that's just where you are. You say, yes, but I don't know what I should do next. Don't we all get stuck in situations? All of us do. We get stuck in situations and we don't know. I've been in this multiple times in my life. I think we all do. I think God loves it. He loves to get us into situations in life where we don't know up from down and east from west and we got six million, it feels like, options in front of us and we don't know which one to take. You ever been there? And now you're just stuck in this confusion. God, speak to me. He doesn't seem to be speaking. What do I do next? What choice do I make? And God's just going, oh, I love this test. Say, what do I do when I don't know what to do next? I'll tell you what you do. Keep doing the last thing you heard. Where does God have you? Put your nose to the grind and keep doing it. What did David do? You're going to be the next king. He doesn't go looking for another job. Well, I'm a shepherd right now. I'll keep doing that. Just do the last thing God showed you. You can't miss God's plan for your life if you're just faithful to him. So I want to do a little ministry time. I got, a, I got one more point I want to get to in this message, but I want to just stop and do some ministry time right here because I think some of us, some of us more than others, some of us maybe don't struggle with this as much, but I think some of us here today for sure struggle with this fear that my life's not going to amount to much. Like maybe God doesn't have a plan for my life or maybe I'm going to miss hearing God's voice or I'm going to miss out on God's plan for my life or God's not going to use, use me. So what I want you all to do is I just want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes and I want us to let go of some of those fears. I want you just, just for a moment, we're just going to give God a chance to speak to us right now here in the middle of this message. It's time to let go of our fear that we're going to miss out on God's plan. It's time to let go of our fear that God's not going to use us. It's time to let go of our fear that we're going to miss out on hearing God's voice. It's time to let go of our fear that God's not going to guide you through this complicated, confuse, confusing situation you're in right now. He will lead you, and he does have a plan for your life. So I'm going to give you a little practical thing right now with your eyes closed. I want you just to close up your fists. This is something I sometimes do when I'm praying at home in my devotions. It's something you can do. Sometimes having our bodies engage with our prayers can, can help unleash something in our hearts. And I just want you, whatever that fear is, that thing you're going through right now, that you're afraid God's not going to use you, or you're, you're afraid you're going to miss out on God's plan for your life. I want you just to open up your hand and release that to God. I want you just to, to release that to God. Just release that fear. He's not going to guide you. 
Release that fear. He's not going to use you. Just release that fear. Jesus, we're releasing our fears to you here today. You are sovereign king over all. And I want to declare over all these people here this morning that you have a plan for each person's life. And you are sovereign over all, and we will not miss your plan for our lives if we will just follow you as best we can and be faithful in the little things. We want to release our fears to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to switch gears for just a moment, and we're going to come back to faithfulness at the end. There's two things. I'm going to leave you with this message. The first one is faithfulness. The second one, we're going to go back to verse 14. In a verse that troubles a lot of people, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Okay? And a lot of people, we read this story, and it bothers us. How can God be using a demon? Like, how, how can God be good? He sends evil spirits. He sends demonic spirits to torment people. That can't be a good God. A good God doesn't work with demons like that, right? And so we wonder, how can this passage say that God sent the demon to Saul? How do we understand that? And this is going to turn into a, a, our second application that goes with faithfulness. Well, the first thing you have to understand is that the writers had a, had a much higher view of God's sovereignty than we do in our culture, Okay? And what that means is, well, first of all, what that means is whenever our culture and our understanding of God clashes with that of Scripture, we're the ones who are wrong, just as a, another reminder of that. So, but the writers of Scripture had a much higher view of God's sovereignty than we tend to in our culture. In their, in their view of God's sovereignty, and again, they're right because they're under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In their view of God's sovereignty, they fully trusted, they fully trusted that anything that happened in their lives ultimately could be traced back that it was God was going to use it as part of his plan for their lives. Now think about what a wonderful place of trust that is. That anything happened, even if it would be bad, that anything that happened, ultimately God's going to use that as part of his plan for my life. That was their trust. So ultimately they could say about anything, ultimately it came from God. That's, that's their view of God's sovereignty. Now, where some people have a problem with that is they say, well, if ultimately God's in control of everything like that, I didn't say he was in control of everything in that sense. I said he's sovereign over everything and can use everything as part of his plan. But where people get hung up then is they think, well, is God the author of evil? Is he making bad things happen? Is he making people do evil things? Is that part of his plan? And the answer is no. He can use all things for his plans and he bends all things to his will so that you can rest assured that anything that happens in your life, you can trust God's going to use that as part of his plan for my life. But at the same time, he's not the author of evil. Now, you say, well, how can those two things be true? And so I want to just share, I'm going to take a few minutes here and I want to share with you an, an illustration, okay? It's, I made this up myself, which means that it is dorky, okay? A dorky mind makes a dorky illustration, okay? So, um, here's, the, here's my dorky illustration to show kind of how this works. How, how could God be sovereign over even demonic activity but not be encouraging it, okay? So imagine that you are the owner of a large farm, okay? So we, we're gonna, you're going to have to use your imagination. Some of you haven't used that in years, okay? So we'll just dust it off and we'll try to put it, put it to use here a little bit. So use your imagination with me for just a moment. Imagine that you are the owner of a, of a very large farm. You've got animals, you've got lots and lots of land. And imagine that at the back of your land, in the back corner of your land, there's a little patch of bush, and in that bush is, you've got a, a, an area of quicksand, and it's really bad quicksand. Like, it's like the movie's quicksand. If anybody goes in there, they are going down. Nobody's getting them out. They're going to be dead, okay? And so you are constantly warning people, do not go back by the quicksand. 
you've got some signs up, and still some people go back there, okay? That's the first thing. So you've got a big piece of land, you're a farmer, you've got quicksand, okay? Second thing I'm going to bring into this little uh, illustration is imagine that in the area of your farm and your neighbors, there's this, there's this big, mean, mangy, like ugly dog, okay? He's not just mean, he's ugly. And that matters, right? Because handsome dogs, it's harder to get mad at them, but ugly dogs, much easier, okay? So he's a mean, ugly dog, okay? And he bites people, okay? And so one day, finally, you capture him, okay? And since we come from Southeast Manitoba and you're, you're a farmer, you have no problems shooting him, that is not a sin, okay? <laughs> that is not a sin. You, you could shoot him, you'd be in your rights to shoot him, and all your neighbors would applaud you, that would be wonderful. But suddenly, just before you pull the trigger, you think, I could use this dog for something. You don't like this dog. Okay, this dog deserves to die. You'd be doing the world a service if you killed him. But you decide, I could use this dog for something. And suddenly you think of that quicksand pit at the back, and you think you're going to drown him in there. No, no, that's not what you think. <laughs> not, we, we don't want to kill animals like that. We want to kill them quickly but, uh, and without pain. Um, so, but anyway, you think, I could use this big, mean, ugly dog to maybe keep people away from the quicksand. So you chain him up back in the back bush there, not because you like that he bites people. You don't like this dog at all. And if there was no quicksand, then you would get rid of him. If the quicksand was filled in, you would just get rid of him. But there is the quicksand there, and actually it would be worse for someone to go into quicksand than get bit by this big, ugly dog. So you decide, I'm going to use the dog for something good. I don't like the dog. I don't encourage this dog to bite people, but I'm going to put that dog back there by the quicksand, and then hopefully, maybe, someone who doesn't pay attention to the signs who goes back there, maybe he'll bite them before they go into the quicksand. It's not good that he's biting, but it's better than them dying, okay? So that's the second thing. So you're an owner of a farm, it's quicksand, we've got this big, ugly dog. I bring the third piece into this illustration, okay? The third piece is, you've got this, this teenager working for you, and he's kind of the foreman of your farm, Okay? And he is highly skilled. I mean, this guy's amazing. That's why you hired him in the first place. He's got all kinds of ability and, and gifting. The only problem is he just has a rebellious heart. Like, he's just rebellious. He's gifted, yes. He's got charisma. He's tall and handsome. He's all these things. And he's great for the farm in that way, or you thought he would be. But he has a rebellious heart, and he doesn't want to listen to you. And so you have told this, this rebellious teenager who's kind of the foreman of your farm, you've told him over and over again, do not go into the back by the quicksand. You're going to get hurt. But for whatever reason, he keeps going back there over and over and over again. He's going back, maybe he's smoking or something. I don't know what he's doing back there, okay? <laughs> smoking weeds, okay? I don't know. <laughs> not, not weed, weeds, okay? But uh, anyway, he's going back there to do this. I should stop. But he keeps going back there, and you can't stop him. He just keeps doing it. He's rebellious right? So you made him the foreman, and he's got gifted, but he doesn't listen. He's rebellious. So he's going back there, and finally, he, so now you've got this big angry dog back there, and he gets bit, and he's bleeding, okay? That's the third thing. Now, the last thing I'm going to bring to the story, okay? I promise you, this is the last thing. There's one other kid in your neighborhood, okay? He's too young to take over your farm. He's this cute, innocent kid. He's got really beautiful eyes, okay? Really beautiful eyes, and a real nice kid, but he's too young to take over the farm, and, uh, and he has no experience at the farm. Now, you can see this is a very thinly veiled analogy now of a Bible story that we're going through currently. But um, so now this kid just happens to be really good at first aid, okay? So you bring this kid with the, this innocent, sweet little kid who, who, with the beautiful eyes. He's really good at first aid. You bring him on now because this teenager, this rebellious teenager, keeps going back there now. He keeps getting bit. 
And so you bring this, this kid in, this innocent kid, and he now starts to bandage up this teenage kid. And by doing that, he gets into this teenager kid's circle, and he starts to learn how the farm operates. Okay, now, so you, clearly you can see this is just a dorky analogy for the whole Saul and, and David story. But I want you to see in this analogy, okay, God is sovereign over the, the whole thing. The whole plan is brilliant, okay, in the sense that uh, God is going to use bad things. Now, is, is God purposely tormenting Saul, or is Saul choosing to be tormented? Saul's choosing to be tormented. God doesn't want him going back there. God doesn't want him disobeying all the time and leaving his protection and being oppressed by an evil spirit. But at the same time, God ultimately could have put that evil spirit in hell already or destroyed him, but he doesn't. Maybe God uses evil spirits to keep people from something even worse, and that is going to hell. Maybe he allows people who will leave his protection to be oppressed in the hopes that they will repent. Isn't that true? So in that sense, he's sovereign over the whole thing, and it's all being used as part of his plan, but he's not encouraging the bad dog to bite people. He's just using it for good when people won't listen to him. And so in that sense, God is sovereign over it all, but he's doing even more than that. He's using the bad dog and Saul's rebellion all together to bring David into the picture and raise him up to be king. And in all of it, he's merciful. Because you ever think about this? He's not just raising David up to be king. But every time Saul gets bit and oppressed by the evil spirit. Do you ever think about this, David coming into a circle? It's not just about raising David up to be king. But you ever think about this as God's mercy on Saul? That David is Saul's relief. He actually gets bandaged up. That's how much God loves him. He's told him over and over and over again, don't go back there. He goes back there, he gets bit up. And God provides someone to bandage him up. And so we read in verse, in verse 23 here, look at this. Look at God's mercy in Saul. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took out the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Do you, do you know what kind of a relief that must have been for Saul? God's given him opportunity to repent by the oppression, which he doesn't need to be in, but he keeps getting oppressed because he's disobedient and rebellious. But at the same time, he still provides relief in the form of David. And at the same time as that, he's raising up David to be a leader. God is brilliant. Amen. He's brilliant. And he has a plan for your life. And even an evil spirit can't derail God's plan for your life. God will use evil spirits even for good. And he'll use bad things for good because he's got a brilliant plan and he's powerful enough to pull it off and your only job is to be faithful and then one other thing we see here and that is to worship. Do you see the power of worship in this passage? The power of worship. How does Saul get relief from the oppression of this evil spirit? David isn't doing incantations. They're not doing all kinds of different weird things. David just has to play a little bit of worship music and boom. Phase one of David's leadership training, faithfulness and little things. Go and be with the sheep. Phase two is learn how to worship. This isn't in the kingdoms of this world. When we raise someone up to be a leader at a leadership conference, we often don't talk about faithfulness and small things and worship, but that's how God raises up a leader. Be faithful in small things and worship God in everything. When you add these two things together, faithfulness in small things, with worship in all things, you become unstoppable for the kingdom of God. Faithfulness in small things mixed together with worship in all things, you are unstoppable in the kingdom of God. God looks at a person like that, a man or woman like that, and says, that is a man or a woman after my own heart. I can't help but use someone like that. Because worship is powerful. Worship is warfare, but we're not very good at this. We're not very good at this. When we get confused, when we get afraid, we start thrashing around and panicking. 
when we get confused and we feel like we need God to be talking, what, what do I do, what do I do? I have all these options. I have all these choices to make and we're thrashing and we're panicking and all sorts of stuff. And we don't remember the two things. That's your job. His job is the plan. Your job is faithful little things and worship. And we need to train ourselves in a new way. When we get confused, because we don't like know, not knowing what's next. We don't like knowing what's not, like what's gonna, not knowing what's going to happen next. We have to train ourselves and when we don't know what's going to happen next, when we don't know what we should do, when we feel confused and afraid, we turn it all back to God and worship. We just put our noses down and keep doing what we're supposed to be doing, faithful little things, and raise our hands to Jesus and worship and just say, I'm going to worship you. Every time I feel afraid, every time I'm in pain, every time I feel isolated and confused, I'm training myself that I'm going to worship because that's my job. My job is to be faithful and it's to worship. My job is to be faithful and my job is to worship. So how do you do this? I'll leave you with four things briefly here. How do you worship in all things? Worshiping in all things does not mean ignoring your pain. It doesn't mean pretending you don't have bad things happening in your life and just saying positive things to Jesus. That's not what it means. It means in the midst of your pain, acknowledging your pain to Jesus, saying, Lord, I, I, just, I, am in, I feel like I'm being crushed right now. I feel like I'm being crushed in my marriage. I feel like I'm being crushed in my finances, the stress. I feel like I'm being crushed. But Lord Jesus, even if you don't turn this around, even if I die, even if it all falls apart, I am promising you I'm going to trust you and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to obey you no matter what. That kind of worship is more valuable to God than any kind of gold. We worship Jesus when we come here to a church service and sing songs, and that's amazing. We need to do that. We need to bless his name at all times. But I'll tell you something. There, those moments when you are in confusion and when you're in pain and when you desperately feel like you need him and nothing's happening and you worship him in those moments, it's worth all the rest of them piled up together. That is powerful. And when you come to that place, you are powerful in the spirit. When you come to a place when you can worship God in all things, you are now unstoppable in the kingdom of God because you are a, vi you're, you're a victor. And you tell him no matter what happens, you're going to obey him, you're going to trust him. And you thank him. You're right in the middle of, of a situation. You think, how can I thank God? Lord, I'm in so much pain. You acknowledge that to him. I'm in pain. I'm desperate for you to do something. And now I'm going to thank you for this. I'm going to thank you for that. I'm going to thank you for this. I'm going to thank and you just begin to be thankful. And lastly, you pray the Psalms. And when you worship God, when you're faithful in small things, in obscurity, in monotony, and you bring that in with worship in all things, God says, I can't help but use you. So again, I want you just to bow your heads with me, close your eyes, and we're going to finish with a song of worship in just a moment. But I want us just to take a moment right now. And I want you in your heart, I want you to just take a deep breath. Anything in your life right now where you are struggling with confusion, you don't know what to do next, or pain in your life, or disappointment, I want you to just allow that to come to your mind right now. Areas of disappointment, areas of fear, areas of just pain, physical, emotional. And right now in the midst of that, I want us to lift up in our hearts, I want us to lift that up to Jesus in worship. Lord Jesus, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our confusion, Lord, we are letting our fear go. We're letting our worry go. You have a plan for our lives and we are going to worship you no matter what. We're going to love you no matter what. Even if the stuff in our lives never gets fixed, we're going to love you. Thank you, Jesus, for caring for us. We just want to bless your name and lift you up. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.